Hello and a very happy Christmas wherever you're spending it this year and whatever way you're celebrating the holidays in the year of our COVID 2021. I hope you managed to enjoy it and if Christmas isn't your thing, I hope you managed to get through what can be a tough day for some. I'm Sean Defoe and you're listening to the In Case You Missed It Year in Review. Over the next hour, we'll be looking back at some of the biggest news stories of 2021. Coming up over the next 60 minutes, we'll cast an eye over the billionaire space race, remember some of the famous faces who left us this year and ask if COP26 actually achieved anything. But first, let's return to the start of the year in a world where Donald Trump was still US President. American lawmakers were gathering to count the votes that would confirm Joe Biden as his successor, a result Trump was publicly trying to undermine. We're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women, and we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them, because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. And they listened to their leader. They marched on the Capitol, they stormed it, they broke in. And the president is even now defending the mob attack, saying, and I quote him, these are things that happen when a sacred landslide victory is stripped away. We're going to see some of what our witnesses saw on January 6th. Let's see the video, please. But please be advised that it contains graphic images and strong language, which many may find disturbing. Hey, brother, we're boots on the ground here. We're moving on to Capitol now. I'll give you a boots on the ground update here in a few. Multiple Capitol entries. Multiple Capitol entries. We are still taking metal, sharpened objects, missiles to include bottles and rocks and hand-thrown chemical-grade fireworks. Okay, guys, um, apparently this tip of the spear has entered the Capitol building. If I give this up, they're going to have to run after us. At least this Capitol we can defend. We got to hold what we have. At some point during the fighting, I was dragged from the line of officers and into the crowd. I heard someone scream. I got one. As I was swarmed by a violent mob, they ripped off my badge. They grabbed and stripped me of my radio. They seized ammunition that was secured to my body. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt like hard metal objects. 
At one point, I came face to face with an attacker who repeatedly lunged for me and attempted to remove my firearm. I heard chanting from some in the crowd, get his gun and kill him with his own gun. After giving CPR to one of the rioters who breached the Capitol in an effort to save her life, that I finally had a chance to let my own family know that I was alive. After order, order has finally has been restored at the Capitol, in many hours, I arrived at home at nearly 4 a.m. on January 7. I had to push my wife away from me because she wanted to hug me. And I told her no because of the other chemical that I, my uniform had on. Sorry. The terror in the nation's capital today. A curfew is in effect as we speak in Washington. Uh, you wouldn't know it, though, if you just looked at the live pictures. You still have uh, pro-Trump groups and mobs in the streets uh, stand off with police. Uh, we are also learning that today's insurrection has turned deadly. A woman was pronounced dead at a hospital after apparently being shot on Capitol grounds. A total of five people, including one police officer, died during the riots. Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our country and that once again we honored our oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. High Speaker Nancy Pelosi as she made the impeachment bill official. There were some testy exchanges between Republicans and Democrats who debated the motion last night among the opposition to impeachment. Florida Rep Matt Gates. The left in America has incited far more political violence than the right for months. Our cities burned, police stations burned, our businesses were shattered, and they said nothing. Trump himself released a video following the vote, but didn't actually reference it. He called for calm ahead of potential demonstrations in the lead-up to Joe Biden taking office on Wednesday. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence. As for what happens next, the trial is unlikely to be heard in the Senate until January 22nd at the earliest. So as of now, there have been four impeachments against US presidents, with Donald Trump making up half of them. After the events on Capitol Hill, Donald Trump was banned, blocked or suspended from major social media sites, including Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat and Instagram. News Talk's Henry McKean got mixed views when he asked people whether or not that ban was fair. I come from the, the site where he has the business down in County Clare, Doonbeg. So you're from the Doonbeg area. area of County Clare. So, I mean, he's quite a door down there and he would get every first preference that's going. But that's because, of course, he's providing a so bike. created up to 400 Absolutely. jobs and jobs Absolutely. connected to Absolutely. So to get that bit out of the way first, but in global terms, I think the people should always have the final say. And I don't think it's up to any social media platform to say whether a person should avail of it or not. Of course, if they're breaking the rules, of course, by all means, address the issue. But to ban him indefinitely, I think that decision should be left to the people. I love Donald Trump. Would you download his new app, his new social media network? Oh, 100%, because Twitter was very biased towards him. So I would, I would definitely download his app and, uh, yeah, I would use that, yeah. You're young. Why do you like Donald Trump? Why do some young people like him? I think he's a great man. Um, I think that he's different and he's not afraid to say his opinion. He doesn't just go with what everyone else says. I think he actually 
says, says true to himself. He's only a Trump. Why should anybody entertain him? So why do you think Donald Trump is a Trump? What planet are you on? Just a few days later, though, Donald Trump's term as US president was over as he, somewhat reluctantly, made way for Joe Biden. gotten so much done that nobody thought would be possible, but I do want to thank Congress, and I want to thank all of the great people of Washington, D.C., all of the people that we worked with to put this miracle together. So, have a good life. We will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Gracious and merciful God, at this sacred time, we come before you in need. Indeed, on our knees, but we come still more with hope and with our eyes raised anew to the vision of a more perfect union in our land. It is now my great privilege and high honor to be the first person to officially introduce the 46th President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, Jr. On this hallowed ground, we're just a few days ago, violence sought to shake the Capitol's very foundation. We come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. We'll press forward with speed and urgency for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. Much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging or difficult than the time we're in now. Once in a century virus that silently stalks the country has taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making, moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. Not only Biden making history either, but his running mate, the first female black vice president, Kamala Harris. It's got to be wonderful and stressful. <laughs> well, you know, my mother had many sayings, and one of them she would often say is, Kamala, you may be the first to do many things. Make sure you're not the last. Her best friend Karen Gibbs spoke to Kira Kelly on News Talk Breakfast shortly after the inauguration. When you see one of your very best friends, you see her up there. She she has just been elected as Vice President of the United States of, uh, of America. She is a woman of colour. She is an old, old friend. What emotions do you feel when you see that? Because she has smashed through ceilings as a woman, as a black woman, as all of that. How, how do you feel when you see when you see what's happened uh, yesterday in Washington? 
there's only one more glass ceiling left to burst, and we all know what that is. But yes, I mean, it's just a feeling of pure excitement, pure elation, jubilation. You know, Kamala and I, and I said we were, you know, best friends throughout those formative years in our lives and on through young adulthood in our in our um, careers. And I consider her my lifelong friend. She actually is the godmother to my children who attended the inauguration ceremonies. So yes, it's just an overwhelming sense of joy and pride. And last question for you, if we could expect anything from her vice presidency, will it be innovation? Will it be change? Will it be bravery? What do you think will be the hallmark of her term? I think that she will be the architect of some of the most consequential legislation that we've ever seen. We will see somebody that is driven, somebody that's focused, someone that has passion, someone that is going to put in the hard work and fight for what is important most to represent uh, the rights of all Americans, not just African Americans or women. When she was in the Senate, she put her, you know, her hand to the plow quickly and got to work. And I think that's something that we're going to see early on as she makes her mark throughout history. Donald Trump left many things behind. One of the more potentially promising ones being the Space Force. 2021 saw a new door open in the commercial space race with billionaire businessmen comparing the size of their rockets. On the 11th of July, Richard Branson reached the edge of space in his Virgin Galactic rocket plane, beating out his space tourism competitors, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. To all you kids down there, I was once a child with a dream looking up to the stars. Now, I'm an adult in a spaceship with lots of other wonderful adults looking down to our beautiful, beautiful Earth. To the next generation of dreamers, if we can do this, just imagine what you can do. Seven, six, five, four. Command engine start. Two, one. Just 10 days later, Bezos was in space aboard Blue Origin's new Shepard spacecraft. Joining him was an 18-year-old from the Netherlands and an 82-year-old from Texas, the youngest and oldest people from Earth ever in space. Despite being second, Bezos was suitably excited. Space with our first human go, Jeff, go, Mark, go, Wally, go, Oliver. You are going to space. You know, now, on how it felt, oh my God! <laughs> My expectations were high, and they were dramatically exceeded. The, uh, the, we were talking about this a little bit uh, in the car ride on the way back, and I, I don't know, the, the, the zero-G piece may have been one of the biggest surprises because it felt so normal. It felt so like almost like we were as humans evolved to be in that environment, which I know is impossible, but it felt so serene and peaceful and the floating. It's actually much nicer than being in full one gravity. Um, uh, It's a very pleasurable experience. Away from the glitz and glamour of rocket launches, there is a serious commercial space race underfoot. Kate Duffy from Business Insider joined Vincent Wall on Taking Stock to talk particularly about the rivalry between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. There are more short-term commercial benefits that he's pursuing, particularly with NASA. 
Yeah, that's right. So um, this year, actually last year in 2020, he had a lot of NASA contracts going on. There was a wave, um, including one that will allow it to compete for future scientific missions with its new Glenn rocket. Um, So it's got two rockets currently in the pipeline, one called New Shepard and one called New Glenn. New Glenn named after the pioneering pioneering astronaut uh, John Glenn. Um, And another NASA contract was to develop new technologies for space missions. Um, And another one was to make designs for a human landing system. So the aim of that was to land humans on the moon in 2024. But the latter two that I mentioned are also contracts which Elon Musk's SpaceX are involved in too. So this is really going to put the two space companies head to head in the race for the stars. So yeah, Bezos has got a lot on his plate with Blue Origin. And as you're right, yeah, he said it was more important than Amazon. Um, But it's going to be interesting because considering he also has a bunch of other passions that he wanted to focus on, such as the Washington Post and his climate initiatives, it's really unclear as to how much progress is going to be made in the company once he steps down. And some of those NASA contracts are actually based on getting what they call payloads into into space, into near space, the likes of satellites and whatever. And and the whole yeah. basis, the whole the whole commercial basis of of what he's planning in the short term is to be able to to reuse rockets, to reuse the rockets that he's invented, just like Elon Musk is planning. That that yeah. one is cheaper and more efficient, and secondly, can actually bring people up and down in, in space tourism. Yeah, that's right. So Bezos's whole goal with Blue Origin is that he wants to create this road to space, um, especially with its new Glenn rocket. So new Glenn rocket will be able, it's, it's a 310 foot rocket. So this is bigger than SpaceX's biggest rocket, the Falcon Heavy. Um, and it's going to be able to take people and payloads up into space. Now, this hasn't actually been launched yet. It is expected to launch this year, but we're not entirely sure whether it will. It could be next year that is still yet to be decided. Um, But New Glenn isn't the biggest rocket that Blue Origin is actually wanting to make. The biggest rocket is going to be called New Armstrong, um, named after Neil Armstrong. So yeah, Bezos wants to move heavy industry off the Earth, have a permanent base on the moon, build up these huge space colonies. And ultimately, he's also said that he wants to have one trillion people living and working in space, which is just incredible. Of course, one of the potential needs for this space race is to actually escape Earth because it is a big and beautiful blue planet, but we have been slowly killing it and increasingly not so slowly. With that grim possibility in mind, some people in Australia have started building a black box for Earth. So someone who comes after should the proverbial hit the fan can have an idea of just what happened. One of its co-creators, Jonathan Kneebone, joined Sean Moncrief. Now, it's a a 10 metre by 4 metre by 3 metre steel box, so it must look very eerie uh, when when it will be situated (laughs) there. What's going to be inside it? Is it just going to be a series of hard drives? Essentially, that's the best way to think about it. Recording, essentially like a backup system, recording the data that we're gathering from around the world. And and then because hard drives, you know, have a reasonably short, in the scheme of things, shelf life, then that data will be transferred over time onto sort of a more long-lasting optical disk system. Mm. And then who, down the track, we're also investigating the idea of actually inscribing it into metal so that the data is 
you know, very much permanent. What will that data consist of? Well, I mean, I guess it's a sort of the way to think about it probably, and I'm, I'm by no means the expert in this field, but the way to think about it is a little bit like when you scan a QR code, the amount of information that can come out of a little pattern Mm-hmm. is is huge so so in other words the sort of encoding that happens to to allow us to get an enormous amount of data stored for a long time is really um we will evolve as as technology allows us to do that successfully um but at the moment that's that's the sort of plan just to use these sort of disks and drives that 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 are available now yeah but will the data be about the rate of climate change and and those kinds of things yeah, so um, this, this analogy with, with an aeroplane black box is really, you know, super helpful and uh, help, sort of helped me understand um, the kinds of data we can gather. So this, on an, on an aeroplane, the, the, when it was invented way back in the 50s, um, by an Aussie actually, mm. um, they, the, what they needed is not just a, a, to capture what the dials of the aeroplane were measuring a sort of in an objective way so that there was a permanent record of that. But also they needed to listen in on what the people in the cockpit were saying. And so there was audio data also being recorded. So we've sort of copied that, if you like, that process. And and so we'll be capturing um, climate data from around the world for up to about 500 different measurements everything from ocean temperature to acidification to CO2 in the air. and All, the, all, all of these different um, measurements we'll be getting. But on top of that, we'll also be recording the conversation that's happening around climate change and, and actually sort of scraping the internet and the, the, all of the dialogue going on for all the commentary that our leaders are making. And, and in a way, the idea of that is to sort of make them feel like they're being recorded so they perhaps watch what they say or think a bit harder about the fact that may, they may be only in power for a few years, but what they say and do actually matters. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's that's the biggest hurdle we've got, I think. Everyone who's in the position to do something is really thinking about just the, the five or ten years that they're in, in that position, whereas, you know, obviously we all need a bit more bigger thinking than that. And through November, those political leaders gathered in Glasgow to discuss that very issue at COP26. Our world is warming, built on economies that make money burning carbon. And at the opening of the event, in what was one of the most powerful speeches given anywhere this year, Sir David Attenborough laid down the gauntlet for politicians and policymakers. As you spend the next two weeks debating, negotiating, persuading and compromising, as you surely must, it's easy to forget that ultimately the emergency climate comes down to a single number. The concentration of carbon in our atmosphere. Is this how our story is due to end? A tale of the smartest species doomed by that all too human characteristic of failing to see the bigger picture in pursuit of short-term goals. Perhaps the fact that the people most affected by climate change are no longer some imagined future generation, but young people alive today, perhaps that will give us the impetus we need to rewrite our story, to turn this tragedy into a triumph, 
We are, after all, the greatest problem solvers to have ever existed on Earth. We now understand this problem. We know how to stop the number rising and put it in reverse. Nature is a key ally. Whenever we restore the wild, it will recapture carbon and help us bring back balance to our planet. And as we work to build a better world, we must acknowledge no nation has completed its development because no advanced nation is yet sustainable. All have a journey still to compete so that all nations have a good standard of living and a modest footprint. We're going to have to learn together how to achieve this, ensuring none are left behind. We must use this opportunity to create a more equal world. And our motivation should not be fear, but hope. It comes down to this. The people alive now are the generation to come. We'll look at this conference and consider one thing. Did that number stop rising and start to drop as a result of commitments made here? There's every reason to believe that the answer can be yes. If working apart, we are force powerful enough to destabilize our planet, surely working together, we are powerful enough to save it. In my lifetime, I've witnessed a terrible decline. In yours, you could and should witness a wonderful recovery. That desperate hope, ladies and gentlemen, delicate, excellency, is why the world is looking to you and why you are here. Thank you. Whether or not the two-week summit was a success is still up for debate. While there were key agreements about keeping 1.5 alive, that is limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, a limit that's actually livable for humanity, many parts of the proposed deals were watered down. Environment Minister Eamon Ryan reacting after a last-minute intervention from India removed wording around phasing out coal. It was gut-wrenching in the end in the room when there was a change to the wording on the phase-out of coal. But that shouldn't distract from the fact that there's huge progress in Glasgow that will help us to take more rapid, more urgent climate action and stitch climate justice into what we do. So it was a good outcome. Former Irish President Mary Robinson was one of those growing increasingly frustrated with the talks when she spoke to Sky News. I'm saying to the leaders who are here now, this is on your watch. Sorry, it's so important. You know, we are literally talking about having a safe future. And, you know, the elders are pressing the leaders. Um, understand, um, this, you can't negotiate with science. You can't talk about a glass being half full. We have to get it down. We have to be on track for 1.5, and it is doable. Um, Mary, so if, Mary, I can see how you're reacting. Yeah. 
to this news that we are on track for 2.4. At 2.4, we say goodbye to parts of the world, don't we? Are leaders taking it as seriously and feeling it like you are? Well, you see, I think leaders of the Climate Vulnerable Forum, the uh, poorest countries, yes, they're in crisis mode. But unfortunately, I'm afraid some of the leaders who could do most are not in crisis mode. I do think, you know, we should call out the countries. Yes, China can do more, and it's a pity they haven't been here as head of state. Russia, similarly, but also Brazil, um, Australia. Australia, a wealthy country, is still in fossil fuel mode, not in crisis mode. Well, I think and, we need to talk and, about the and, geopolitics yeah, yeah. here, Mary, and, and don't we? Saudi Arabia. Yes. Uh, well, um, Saudi Arabia in particular, playing dirty games. Well, that's what I want to yeah. ask you. It feels to me yeah. like it's shaping up to that being the real block yeah. here. Is, it, yeah. is that what you see? What, what Saudi Arabia have been able to do is take language out of a lot of the text. Language that refers, even to in the, um, you know, the, the, the reference to ACE, as it's called, the 10-year plan for education on climate change, for youth. They've taken out all the language of youth, human rights, uh, gender equalities, and um, sustainability. You know, so if you take uh, that and, out, and, we and, can and, forget and, fossil and fuel commitments. And how are they able to take the language out? Because not enough countries were in the room. Um, it's my experience in previous COPs, Saudi Arabia's always there when it matters, and they kind of get, they kind of block things, um, and they've done it for years, um, and they continue to block, and they're trying to block here for the fossil fuel lobby. While outside the tent and the summit, climate activist Greta Thunbury delivered a damning verdict. The leaders are not doing nothing. They are actively creating loopholes and shaping frameworks to benefit themselves and to continue profiting from this destructive system. This is an active choice by the leaders to continue to let the exploitation of people and nature and the destruction of present and future living conditions to take place. The COP has turned into a PR event where leaders are giving beautiful speeches and announcing fancy commitments and targets. While behind the curtains, the governments of the Global North countries are still refusing to take any drastic climate action. This is no longer a climate conference. This is now a Global North Greenwash Festival. celebration of business as usual and blah 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 as with every year 2021 saw its fair share of celebrity deaths and a surprisingly large number of stars of the small screen passed away this year famous u.s broadcaster larry king james michael tyler who played gunther in friends and dustin diamond who played screech in saved by the bell all died this year Willie Garson, who was Stanford Blatch in Sex and the City, passed away aged 57. While at age 54, actor Michael K. Williams passed away, he was best known for his portrayal of fan favourite Omar in The Wire. You want to tell the truth about what happened to Mr. Gant in that housing project parking lot? Yeah. When in fact you are exactly the kind of person who would, if you felt you needed to, shoot a man down on a housing project parking lot and then lie to the police about it, would you not? And look, I never put my gun on no citizen. You are a moral, are you not? You are feeding off the violence and the despair of the drug trade. You're stealing from those who themselves are stealing the lifeblood from our city. You are a parasite who leeches off Just like you, the culture man. of drugs. Excuse me? What? I got the shotgun. 
Got the briefcase. It's on the game though, right? In April, Helen McCrory passed away, known for her appearances in The Queen and Harry Potter, as well as for playing the formidable Polly Gray in Peaky Blinders. You know, after all this is over, he might forgive you. No, he might take you in. Can never tell with men. But I should tell you something. I will never forgive you. Or accept you. Or take you in. And it's me who runs the business of the heart in this family. And as far as I'm concerned, you're a snitch from the parish. Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts died in August, while in September Girls Aloud star Sarah Harding passed away from terminal cancer aged just 39. The comedy world was also rocked by cancer this year when Sean Locke, famous for his appearances on 8 out of 10 Cats, Countdown and Mock the Week, passed away in August. If we were to look up Sean Locke in the dictionary, what, what would we find? What would be the definition of Sean Locke? If you look me up in the dictionary, you'd get a four-letter word. It's got a C in it, a U in it and a T in it. And that word is, of course, cute. <laughs> but really, I don't think a dictionary's got enough words in it to describe me. You know, I don't think... I, don't, I think it's, I'm such an amazing, complicated... I'm more like a sensation, an idea. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the best way to describe me is with a fragrance. <laughs> you smell it, you go, that's, that's Sean Locke. <laughs> you smell it. It'd be like hot tarmac and a vet's flannel. <laughs> You're an incredibly happy man. <laughs> What's the secret to your happiness? Simple things. A bluebell, the first bluebell of spring. <laughs> Coming home to a full mousetrap. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Closer to home, there were a number of notable deaths this year. In November, former CEO of Anglo-Irish Bank, Shawnee Fitzpatrick, passed away suddenly. The cause of our problems was global. So I can't say sorry with, with, with any type of sincerity and decency, but I do say a very genuine thank you because that, was a, that is right. Poets Brendan Kennelly and Maura McEntee both passed away in October while former politician Austin Curry died just a few weeks later. In July, another hugely respected political figure passed away with the death occurring of former minister and founder of the Progressive Democrats, Des O'Malley. Conventional Irish political wisdom may advise against it, as it often does against worthwhile change. To achieve progress in any field, risks must be taken. For myself, I am prepared to take them. In the UK, a hugely significant death this year in the royal family. You're watching BBC News. We have just received a statement from Buckingham Palace confirming that the Duke of Edinburgh has died. The statement says, it is with deep sorrow that Her Majesty the Queen has announced the death of her beloved husband, His Royal Highness, the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. His Royal Highness passed away peacefully this morning at Windsor Castle. He was 99 at the time of his death and callers shared their experiences of Prince Philip on Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. I was an assistant butler at a place called Holker Hall for Lord and Lady Cavendish. 
And Prince Philip used to come up there a lot doing carriage racing in the ground. So he'd be up there about two or three times a year. Quite a unique insight into into, into royal life because you used to get to wait on them in a in a private residential setting. So for for meal times or any other times when they uh, they, they needed some assistance. Um, so there was times when I would he after his carriage racing, they would he would just be sat outside in the garden room and you'd be serving him afternoon tea, and he'd always end up bending your ear, asking you about your life um, as a teenager growing up in Cumbria. He'd be always asking me about my girlfriend, um, seemed to recognise me every time he was there. And yeah, and as Ender was saying, he was quite a character. He wasn't one for protocol. And when I used to be waiting on some of the meals there, the rest of the roles were up there quite often too. They always seemed much more reserved, but he was always the chatty one who was a bit of a character. In April 1997, um, our school won the um, All-Ireland Schools Debating Competition. And as a result, we were invited to participate in the uh, Observer Mace, the UK-Ireland Observer Mace Schools Debating Competition in London in May 1997. So we duly did, we went over to London and to our great surprise, we, we won the competition. We were the first Irish team to win the competition. The, uh, Prince Philip was the president or patron of the English Speaking Union. They were the, the group who ran the competition. So uh, we were invited to a reception in the palace in November 1997. So we duly arrived at the palace. We were led across the inner courtyard down a corridor into a very sumptuous reception room. And um, after a little while, Prince Philip <clears throat> entered the room and uh, we chatted to him. And he was most charming, courteous, pleasant. And uh, to form, he cracked a, sort of a wry little joke, expressing surprise at the standard English spoken in the colonies. Well, we've made it this far without mentioning that other C word that isn't Christmas. But we couldn't really review the year without talking just a little bit about COVID. And if you're anything like me, you might have tried to block out much of this year and certainly more than one Irish coffee is going to be had trying to do that today. You know the ins and outs. We started the year in lockdown. Unless you were involved in absolutely essential work, you have no reason to be away from your home. And you simply must stay at home. One that lasted months. The difference, of course, is the emergence of the so-called UK or B117 variant. It is equivalent to a new virus almost. And months. Therefore, government has decided to extend all of the current level five restrictions until the 5th of March. And months. Unfortunately, making progress on the incidence of the disease is not enough and the rates across all age groups are still too high. The health system very nearly found itself overwhelmed in January. But as we moved into the year and unease with lockdown grew, there were some angry scenes on the streets during a St. Patrick's Day anti-lockdown protest. Uh, Henry McKean joins me now in studio. Henry, there was a high level of visibility with 2,500 Gardaí out and about mm, yes, yes. on every street corner. Tell me more. Yeah, there were guards everywhere. They were on foot, they were on bikes, paddy wangons, everywhere. Uh, and the guards, they did give a warning, then a fixed fine. And then if people still didn't move off, uh, they arrested them. And this was outside the GPO. I witnessed these people uh, being arrested. There's strong views here, strong language. And you can hear my boom two-meter microphone being pushed to the ground. These are the enemy, no one else. Do you support the protests? Yeah, of course I do. Because they're doing rights, they're, they're correcting the wrongs, if you can understand that. Little bits of phlegm that come out of your mouth when you talk to me, that's how we, we transfer the virus 
I'm an exceptionally healthy individual. I eat vegetables. I um, have been practicing healthy all my life. You could lose a bit of weight. Um, if you're really concerned about health, if you're really concerned about health, dude, lose a bit of the belly. I'll survive with my spit too. What I'm telling you, statistically, it makes no sense. Statistically, it makes no sense. There is no, if this was a pandemic, we'd have at least 100,000 extra deaths this year and last year. This fella here would be falling down, going, Jesus, I'm dying. It's not happening. It's been portrayed to you over the media via your technology by narratives being told to the individuals behind the box. We are rising as a people. We are rising as a nation. We are rising as a world. We are rising for our freedom. Strong stuff there, Henry. Yeah, people are fed up. Uh, people, they've had enough. Some um, have been influenced by social media. Some are conspiracy theorists. Others are just disillusions. There's anger. So many different reasons. Here are people being arrested. Here are the arrests. We're at walking. <laughs> We're at walking. That's all. You just, you just stop for a sec. We've seen some fella get arrested. I just asked some people what happened, and then they were arrested. Someone else that was with us. We're out for a walk. That's all. So a lady is being arrested. By the guard. You're not obliged to say so. Unless you wish to do so. But anything you say, we'll be taken down and right in the making of the day. Handcuffs, please. She's now being handcuffed. Big media presence here. You don't need to go high. Shave yourselves. Excuse me, sir. Is that your partner being arrested? I wouldn't talk to news talk, man. These are, these are vipers, media, fake news, rubbish. Should be fucking shamed yourself. Kind of very intense, nasty enough stuff there as well. Uh, the yeah. Viper stuff and all that. Yeah, Henry. I mean, we've heard of that recently. We're described because we work for an independent radio station as mainstream, inverted commas, media. And lots of anger there. And you can hear, uh, you could say, the bitterness in people's voices. And in a way that the guards did act with restraint, I did notice them. They kept giving people warnings, saying, could you please move off? Could you please go home? Could you please move off? And then they'd give them basically three strikes and you're out. Uh, and they acted with dignity. They were calm. They were collective and they were communicating with each other and I also noticed other media organisations had security with them uh, which I've never seen before We don't provide that sort um, of service <laughs> You're on your um, own Henry and I, haven't, I haven't seen that only in the United States during the Trump era there would be security uh, 
I did see other media with perhaps two security guards with them, with something I haven't seen before. Uh, so uh, a huge amount of anger and a sub strange, subdued feeling. A lot of foreign nationals wandering around Dublin today, uh, just trying to enjoy themselves. Uh, they were th within the 5K. They were just going for walks. They weren't drinking. They were wearing masks. They were in green, like you're wearing green at the moment, and happy St. Patrick's Day. But, but a very strange atmosphere. And this particular um, protest um, gained a lot of traction online. And there was like nine or 10 different places where people met. Also, they're, they're having a go at um, people who were overweight. And I did go for a jog yesterday, and I do need to lose weight. But they're, they're, they're blaming fat people. They're saying that the fat people are to blame uh, because uh, we all have to stay at home because we could kill off the fat people, which technically is true because if you are overweight, there's a higher chance that perhaps you will die of COVID. Um, they didn't have any sympathy for the elderly or their grandparents. All these uh, protesters cared about was themselves. Uh, I met this protester from TIP. I don't do what I'm told. I'm a human being with my two feet on the earth. My parents made love about 50 odd years ago and put me here. I don't need Leo's permission to go anywhere or Michal's. It doesn't make any difference. I don't live by anyone else's live. live. I'm here because I have the right to be here. It's not a, nothing to do with rules. And what do your friends think of your views? Are you a conspiracy theorist? Am I a conspiracy theorist? No, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, although I've been called a lot worse. While some premises closed by government order decided they'd had enough. Gardaí have ordered a Dublin beauty salon to close after it reopened despite level 5 restrictions. CNN Beauty Rooms in Balbriggan has been taking clients since 10.30 this morning. Casey O'Reardon reports. An hour and 20 minutes after opening, the salon received a knock on the door from Gardaí. How are you? Owner Christine McTiernan declined to allow Gardy into the premises but handed them a statement explaining why she'd reopened and fully cooperated. Speaking before she reopened this morning, Christine explained why she felt she had no other choice. I have to put food on the table. I have to pay my rent. I've, all my bills have to be paid. Despite the Garda presence outside the salon, a client attempted to attend her appointment. You're in breach of COVID if you do go in. You do realise under COVID regulations and you can be subject to a fine. You do understand Locals have mixed views about the business going against the guidelines. No, I don't think I'll support them because I'd rather get out of this as quickly as possible. Beauty salons, hairdressers, they only could have so many people in at one time anyway, so they were never overcrowded. Even in the darkest days at the start of this year, there was a ray of positivity in the vaccine campaign. Henry McKean was there for News Talk Breakfast as the most vulnerable got their first jabs. Hello, I'm Jane Vogel. This is my mum, Rose Williamson. Rose lives independently in a, in a little apartment beside me. She's just had her 99th birthday. Congratulations, Rose. How does it feel to get the vaccination? Noble. I thank the Lord for the wonderful scientists discovered them. So you thank the Lord for the wonderful scientists for discovering it and the vaccine. And when are you turning 100? Next channel, get me checked. Strictly ballroom. So you're going to be dancing? <laughs> my name is uh, Jason Hennessy, and this is my grandmother, Christine Hennessy, just got vaccinated today. I'm so happy about it. It's been a long time. So, how are you feeling? I feel alright, thanks. And you look great for 86. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stephen Donnelly, uh, Henry McKean from News Talk. Today, here in the Helix, I can see a smile on your face. I can see a smile on many 85 year olds and older. For you, this must be quite a, an emotional day. How are you feeling? 
Well, I, on the way in, the security guard asked me if I was here for a vaccine, and I thought, Jesus, being Minister for Health has really taken its toll. <laughs> Uh, well, it has, it has. Uh, no, it is the greatest honour of my life to be doing this job. I tell you, um, for me today, it is. this is what hope feels like. It's been a brutal year for so many people. People have lost loved ones. People haven't been able to mourn the way they need to mourn. People have been isolated. People are dealing with, with mental health issues, physical health issues. It's been, a, it's been a brutal year for our nation. And this is literally the light at the end of the tunnel. Most of 2021 saw Pat Kenny presenting from home, bringing his keenly analytical mind to News Talk's COVID coverage. He also ran what felt like sometimes a one-man campaign in favour of antigen testing, even when the likes of Dr Tony Houlihan and the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly were reluctant. The real concern that Dr Houlihan has, and that people on Nevit have, and it is a legitimate concern, is that people get these tests they may, may not be the right tests, they may not use them in the right way, and they may take a different meaning from a negative result and therefore act in riskier ways that put themselves and other people yeah. at risk. So, for, But do for, you not remember that Dr. Holohan at the time of the advocating of masks, he said the same thing. He didn't trust ordinary people to wear masks properly, that they would stuff them in their pockets, they'd infect themselves and all the rest of it. And then, of course, in time, mask wearing became um, the norm. Not that everyone wore them perfectly. <laughs> but that wasn't the point. It was trying to use another tool in the armory. And the same is true of antigen testing. Not everyone will do them correctly. But if you get a lot of people doing them correctly and saying, I'm not going to work, I'm not going into school because this test shows I'm infectious, that's, that's a win. It, it is, but doing it correctly is much more difficult than wearing a mask. So, for example, that same Cochrane report I was just t telling you about, they looked at a very wide variety of tests and interestingly, they found that when you follow the manufacturer's uh, um, instructions of all of the rapid tests they looked at, they said the total number that met the minimum required sensitivity and specificity requirements was one single test, right? So this isn't like putting on a mask. There's a lot of, there's a lot of serious work has to be done to make sure that people are using the right test in the right way. And then what we've got to do is really get the message out yeah. there that if, you, if, you, if you're using the right test in the right way, and if you get a positive result, you should go and get a PCR test. If you get a negative that, result... That is the advice. Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> here's the advice. It is, but the, the next bit is just as important, which is if you get a negative result you should pretty much ignore it. It doesn't mean you're negative. The best tests used in the best ways are about 50% accurate. Some of them are as low as 3 or 4% accurate. And that's the key. The real oh, fear that people uh, Stephen, have is... this is bad. This is propaganda. This is not fact. I mean, the science indicates that properly used antigen testing reveals when people are infectious. I mean, that's the, that is the science. And now you're telling me that only one test works and that you know <laughs> no let me be, let me be clear i'm 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 not I, i'm not a i'm not a scientist i'm not an expert in this stuff what i'm what i'm saying to you is that the cochrane report which is a well regarded uh, uh, review they found that only one single test when you follow the manufacturer's instruct, instructions met the minimum stipulated sensitivity and specificity and and that there is a wide variety of uh, sensi of um, a sensitivity, which is the which is the which is the positives, uh, and some some of the the pilots have shown accuracy of about three percent, but others have shown accuracy in excess of fifty percent. The point being, Pat, if you get one of these tests and you get a negative, 
it doesn't mean you're negative. That's that's the most important thing to take it, away. It means, if it's done properly, it means you're not infectious at that moment. And that's all the claim that has ever been made no, sorry, it doesn't. for the antigen it, no, test. This, this is where we need to be clear. If you get a rapid test, you go into Little and you buy one of those tests and you get a negative result out of it, it absolutely does not mean that you are not infected. Well, you're, you're actually saying, no, no, Stephen, you're actually saying it's pointless. There's no. no point in buying the. You're in favour of them, but there's no point in doing them. That, you know, people cannot be trusted to do it properly. And even if they are trusted to do it properly, but you're, you, it's probably wrong. That's what you're saying. You cannot have it both ways that you're in favour of them and then you disparage them. Well, let, let me tell you why, why, why I think you can. I'm not disparaging them, Pat. I, I'm, what I'm saying is... They're useless by, no. your, by your last commentary. They are useless, which is not what the international experience is. And, and it's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is if you get a negative result, under no circumstances does that mean that you are not infectious. And please don't behave as if you have a result that says you're not infectious. It's really important. I think they are useful because of the positive tests. So the best tests have an accuracy in terms of true positive of about 99.9%. So chances are, if you if you test positive, chances are you are positive and you should go and get a PCR test. And critically to your point on infectiousness, and this is a point uh, Professor Ferguson keeps making, if you test what these things are, are really good at, is testing when you are both positive and infectious. And therefore, even though you may pick up a very, very small number of people in the population, you're picking up the people who are infectious. And hopefully, if they then go and isolate themselves and get a PCR test, you are stopping some of these super spreader events. And that's why I support them. It's why I set up the expert group and it's why I, I support the findings from Professor Ferguson and the team. Pat's views also led to an engaging debate between himself and Dr. Ray Wally. Riddle me this. You've got a, a number of people who are doubly vaccinated and going to visit each other's homes. I mean, the protocol that my friends uh, operate is before they go to visit that home, they're feeling great, they do an antigen test. And the people who are receiving them into their homes, they're feeling great and they do an antigen test. That gives them a layer of security that even if they're asymptomatic, that at least they're not infectious to their friends. Now, why can that methodology simply not be used more widely? Is it that you I, don't I, trust the public? Know, the Doctors think, you know, you're talking about, you know, they're, they're bypassing the GP. And it sounds like you're, you're, you're losing business. I mean... Well, riddle me this, uh, Pat. Uh, why are people doing the wrong thing at the moment that they've been listening to your program and other programs in regard to this? And basically, they're unfortunately um, stressed, sick, and they'll grab it on eating including the, the antigen test and in that period they're not isolating to the extent that they have with symptoms and unfortunately then they contact the GP and basically um, they have in that period potentially infected their uh, nearest and dearest, their loved ones and basically um, you know the problem is this is complex. This is also being done in a stressful high intensity situation where people are sick. So basically you know uh, I, I agree that the state should be advocating the antigen test in controlled situations. We need to listen to the primary care general practitioners in the community, both in the UK and other countries, who are advising strongly that this is happening. And it is creating much morbidity and much infection yeah. because people are getting it wrong but, at times. Ray, so you talk about controlled situations. Control situations. We, we have been talking about the people in Germany, the people in Denmark, where a properly run uh, antigen testing was available on pretty much every street corner. 
and they were able to keep uh, hospitality open and so on. And when they abandoned that system, the free system in Germany, cases started to arise again. So now they're bringing back free antigen testing available on every street corner. Um, what is it that you guys can't understand uh, about how this could have been used and wasn't used? Well, what part do you not understand the fact that people are getting it wrong and basically they are effectively, symptomatically not using the test? And when there is definite access to PCR testing, and the, the, obviously the PCR testing is connected to contact tracing. Mm. And will you riddle me this then? What about the lack of messaging on antigen testing, which were available, as you know, the snake oil that uh, Professor Nolan referred to in a German supermarket chain, which had a CEE mark, by the way. Um, you know, no messaging at all. This has been part one of the In Case You Missed It Year in Review on News Talk. Now, I remember the days just a few years ago when a 20-minute radio segment would be enough to tell the story of the year well no longer in what's been a mental few years. And with that in mind, I'll be back this time next week with part two of our In Case You Missed It review, looking at some of the other massive stories that made 2021. Until then, go easy and happy Christmas. <laughs>